you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Film Week on L.A. as 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us, and I sure hope you come see us in person. It's the 22nd Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview at the Historic Orpheum Theater in downtown Los Angeles. All 11 of our Film Week critics will be on stage. We'll show clips from all the Best Picture nominees. It's going to be a blast. The critics are never funnier nor better than for our annual show when they can all react to each other. So please join us. Get your tickets now for Sunday, March 3rd, 1 in the afternoon at the Orpheum. Tickets at laist.com slash events. That's laist.com slash events. And we're joined by two of our 11 critics today, Amy Nicholson, who writes on film for the New York Times and hosts the podcast Unspooled, and Wade Major of synagogues.com and author of the Substack Hollywood Heretic. Well, let's begin with Madam Webb, which is a sci-fi adventure series starring Dakota Johnson, directed by S.J. Clarkson in her feature directorial debut, and she's one of the four credited screenwriters. Wade, Madam Webb. I'm going to try to be as constructive as possible, because uh, (laughs) just ranting for a couple of minutes about how abysmal this is really doesn't do anyone any good, and it is abysmal. And I think they know it's abysmal. And when the Marvels failed, which, you know, this makes the Marvels look like the Magnificent Seven. The Marvels and actually had some funny stuff in it, it. It, it. It's not good, but it's not, you know, completely without redeeming moments. This is abysmal on every conceivable level. It's badly cast. It's it, The screenplay is atrocious in that this feels like a terrible first draft that someone rushed out in about a week and no one bothered to change anything. And my question, you know, I've said that the, the development process at the studios is broken for years. And, and the story here, look, this is very simple. Sony has to keep making Spider-Man movies and anything even remotely connected to Spider-Man so that the rights don't revert to Marvel. So they're just coming up with Venom and every other thing. Any ancillary C-level, D-level character from the Spider-Verse, they're just going to keep making those movies. That's where Madam Web comes out. Madam Web is kind of a peripheral Spider-Verse character. She's a little bit like Xavier in the X-Men. She's, you know, in the comics, she's older and she's wheelchair-bound and she has, like, a psychic connection to uh, whatever. Um, here, you know, she's. this is a, kind of an origin story. Um, I won't get into the details. Dakota Johnson is is Madam Web, and she is her power is that she is conveniently clairvoyant. And at moments that she can't control, she knows what's going to happen maybe a few minutes later and winds up becoming caretaker to three girls who are jeopardized by the big bad who is, you know, has spider powers and he wants to kill them. Why and the how of all of this, if you want to see the film, it'll all come together. The problem is it doesn't really come together here. The whole thing is a tease for what they hope will become a franchise. 
and it cheats its way through it every step of the way. Things happen just because they need them to happen. Trucks show up just because they need trucks to be there. Things just, they just happen to be in the right places at the right time. And then she will make atrocious decisions that make no sense whatsoever, just bad judgment. And you sit there as an audience member and you think, why are they letting their character, someone we're supposed to be rooting for, make such terrible decisions? Oh, I get it, because the bad decision precipitates the next twist that you need in the story. It's just dreadful screenwriting. It's it's like B-level, C-level, D-level screenwriting on every conceivable level. The development process here should have been better. Sony has dozens of executives who had to sign off on this. Lorenzo Di Bonaventura is the producer, 30-year veteran executive, Harvard, Wharton, a guy who ran production at Warner Brothers. He knows what a good script is. So where's the breakdown? I don't have an answer to that, but somewhere this movie is telling us that at the studios, the entire development process has completely collapsed. All right, Madam Web is the film. It's in wide release, rated PG-13, starring Dakota Johnson, directed by S.J. Clarkson. This is me now, a love story. It's a musical drama starring Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. Trevor Noah, Sofia Vergara, Neil deGrasse Tyson are in the film. Dave Myers directed, and it's written by Lopez and Matt Walton. Amy, what did you think of This Is Me, Now a Love Story? This is actually a fun and short experimental film. It's kind of a collection of music videos cut through with scenes of Jennifer Lopez talking to her therapist, who is played by Fat Joe. It's coming out kind of in tandem with her new album, and I have to say, it is a lot of fun. It is the portrait of J-Lo, the artist, as a love addict who realizes that her behavior has been publicly ridiculous. You know, and she's this love addict who I think is kind of exposing her her ridiculousness. It's a very self-mocking and open film that I found, like, incredibly endearing. You know, she's smart about being relatable, about being a public screw-up in the tabloids. And so the arc here is that, you know... This movie is also through like kind of expressionist, metaphorical, music video kind of settings. You know, gigantic wet landscapes where a motorcycle runs through it. Glass rooms where people are tethered to each other and like fighting. Um, and it starts with like her on this motorcycle riding with her dream love who dies in the very first scene. And I did not know until I looked at the credits that the dream love was Ben Affleck. But good for him. He also <laughs> shows up in this movie as a, as a newscaster with a terrible blonde wig on purpose. Good for him. They're having fun. I really just enjoyed this because she is absolutely going for it. Whatever this ridiculous story is that she wants us to know about herself, however she wants to say, like, yeah, I dated guys who got caught with guns in public. You remember that story. Wasn't very smart. Um, she's just poking fun at herself the whole time. Part of the part of where the story goes at some points is, like, up in the skies, she has this council of zodiac signs who are gossiping about her mistakes and they are just played by like Jane Fonda, Kiki Palmer, <laughs> Sofia Vergara, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, and they're just having a blast. Everybody's in ridiculous costumes and calling her silly. She has a montage of like three blowout weddings talking about her her need to be in love. And in all of them, she's playing it great. Her face is glowing. She's acting like she's deeply in love. Her friends are there stealing the silverware and gossiping about how long this marriage is going to last. You know, I can just see this movie being so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> what are, Wade, what did you think? Amy's looking at me like, please don't say anything <laughs> bad about it. No, I, for the most part, I did, I did like it. When it started, because it kind of comes out of, out of the, it, it comes out with all guns blazing and you're not quite sure, is this a musical? What am I looking at here? It feels like, 
and and it, and very quickly you realize, okay, it's her new album. These are the new songs from the album, and she's expanded the idea of concept album into a concept um, narrative film that is basically why shoot a bunch of different music videos for all the songs when you can tie them all together in one narrative construct and have kind of a, 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 a help people to understand that there is a central theme to the album end of the film. So I really eventually finally got on board with it. I, I figured out what it was doing, and she is so sweet and so sincere. <laughs> I mean, she really is. And because very talented. She's pouring her heart out here and all of her vulnerabilities and how, how what a hopeless romantic she is, and that's very infectious. So once you understand this is this is just her very affectionate vanity film that she's just pouring her heart out, then you can really kind of get into the groove. And it's only an hour long, so it's fine. I The one thing I didn't like, I didn't like the, the Zodiac quorum of cameos. That... That that was cringy to me. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson should never do this ever. Again. <laughs> never he's again. up for anything, though. I know. One of the things I like about him is he's a good sport. This is me now, a love story. The musical drama is streaming on Amazon Prime, starring Jennifer Lopez and and a cast of stars. Dave Myers directed. It's rated PG thirteen. Players, a romantic comedy starring Gina Rodriguez and Damon Wayans Jr. Trish Size, the director, and Whit Anderson wrote Players. Wade? Here's our, our Valentine's Week uh, opener. I, I have to say I am admittedly too old and too married to probably fully connect to this. This is uh, this is for people in there, you know, for New York, young New York single professionals who are fighting in the dating and relationship scene right now. And uh, it it I guess it's representative of that. And there is some real sweetness to it. I mean, Gina Rodriguez produced it and, and acts in it. And she is very, very engaging. Uh, Damon Wayans Jr., very subtle, um, very subdued, super talented. He's wonderful in this as well. Everybody kind of pl- hits they hit the beats. You know, it is a modern romantic comedy, so it's got one foot in the in the here and now, and it's got one foot sort of in the traditional tropes of the romantic comedy. Um, so I, I'm going to say, even though it didn't totally work for me, I'm not the audience. So I'm going to assume that it's probably going to work for its target audience. We're talking about the romantic comedy players, Amy. Yeah, I wound up liking this too. It, it's got the element of like kind of modern cynicism about love, you know. Actually, the whole setup here at the beginning is that it's about this group of friends. Gina Rodriguez is one of them, and it's her buddies. They all work at a newspaper. And what they do at night is they go out kind of not looking for love, just looking for one-night hookups. And they run these operations kind of like a heist movie like or like The Sting, where they sit down, they see somebody cute across the table, and one of them says, let's run Little Mermaid. And it's like a football play they've done a lot of time where somebody will put on this fake accent and somebody will pretend to forget their wallet or complicated things spin out all with the, the purpose of like – getting this one person to pay attention to their friend for one night and then never talk to them again. And so where the plot really takes off is, you know, she winds up having a crush on a guy who's like one of those like literati cool guys, you know, does journalism in Syria. And everybody goes to work trying to get him to take her seriously when she's just a local sports reporter. I will say the newspaper scenes in this movie, it's not that I I don't buy that like a group of friends who've known each other from college would all magically wind up working at the same newspaper where one of them's in obits and one of them does graphic design and she is a sports girl. But the actual newspaper scenes themselves, if you once you get past that, I kind of liked because it is set in the modern world of journalism where all the newspapers are downsizing, where a mid-sized paper like this is barely holding on by its fingernails. And so I enjoyed seeing them at work. It, I would just say this is a rom-com where all the emphasis is on comedy and not so much on the romance, for right. sure. 
Players is the film starring Gina Rodriguez and Damon Wayans Jr. It's unrated, and it's at the Bay Theater in Pacific Palisades and streaming on Netflix. Drift, uh, a film uh, tells the story of a young Liberian refugee barely escaping to Greece from her war-torn country. The film stars Cynthia Erivo, Anthony Chen is the director, and Suzanne Farrell and Alexander Maxik are the screenwriters. It's based on Maxik's novel of a decade ago. Amy, what did you think of Drift? Yeah, this is a really serious, straightforward character study piece set you know said um discussing the refugee crisis it, in a way that feels very much of today but is set um back in the time where charles taylor and his army of child soldiers were you know rampaging and, and killing throughout liberia um and then as in now a lot of people wind up in the greek islands which is what happens to our character jacqueline who's played by cynthia arrivo the one interesting angle into this film is that we're this is a refugee crisis film about a refugee herself who I think has a lot in common with most people, where you really can't think of her as somebody very, very, very different from you. You know, she's from an upper class family. She's very educated. She spent a lot of time in Britain. She was living a life not that different from the life any of us are living right now. But she happens to go home when there's an attack on her home and she loses everything, including her family. And so it allows her to kind of wander these Greek islands in her one outfit living this double life, you know, where she can put on her accent and say the right things to try to act like she's going to book a reservation that night where people don't necessarily know how how much pain she's seen and she doesn't want them to know. So she really just plays this character as a person who's got a lot of psychological damage she doesn't want us to see. And they're billing this as like a friendship piece about her slow friendship with Aaliyah Shawcott, who's there as an American divorcee who's in a tour guide. But really... The one flaw in this movie is that the Aaliyah Shaw character is just there to be like endlessly nice and empathetic and patient with no real inner life as her own. She's just there to try to get Cynthia Riva to, to open up and for, to allow Cynthia to try to peel back layers, which really happens very slowly and in a way not at all. It's honest about that, that nothing can be fixed. What did you think of Drift, Wade? I think it's very good. Uh, I think it's probably the best performance that we've um, maybe ever had from Cynthia Eriva. Uh, because it's not. This is not really a narrative film. This is a. This is a mood film, and it's. It's basically a study of trauma, and and so Cynthia is able to. She's given a lot of latitude, in a very nonverbal way, to go through the stages of trauma and and recovery from trauma and relapse into trauma and and how that impacts you. And so it's a very physical performance. It's not. It, there aren't you know a lot of lengthy monologues and dialogues. There's there's some, but for most of the film. You're watching what she does. You're looking at her eyes and her her body language, and 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 you're you're piecing together how damaged she is and how she is struggling to overcome that damage. And it's it's really wonderful to see her inhabit the physicality of that, and and you know you you see the struggle going on behind her eyes. It's a it's a wonderful piece for performance, but not extremely narrative. We're talking about Drift, uh, directed by Anthony Chen, starring Cynthia Revo. It's rated R in English and Greek with English subtitles. You can see it at Lemley's Monica Film Center, Santa Monica. Then next Friday, it expands into more theaters. We'll have more from our critics Wade and Amy when we continue on Film Week in just one minute.
Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Film Week on LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mapta. Looking forward to seeing you coming up very soon, March 3rd, Sunday afternoon at 1 for the 22nd Annual Film Week Academy Awards Preview. All of our critics on stage, a very big day. Everybody who comes just enjoys seeing the critics at their very best, clips of the films. We'll talk about the major categories, the performance, the writing, directing, and, of course, best picture, and members of the audience will also be able to vote. So please join us Sunday afternoon, March 3rd, at the historic Orpheum Theater on Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. Tickets for our Oscar show at LAist.com slash events. We continue on Film Week with our critics Wade Major and Amy Nicholson. Up next is the drama Bleeding Love starring Ewan McGregor and Clara McGregor. Emma Westenberg is the director and Ruby Castor wrote the screenplay Bleeding Love. Wade. Really surprised and, and not surprising that this is good because Ewan McGregor just doesn't pick bad material. Um, but given how sort of low budget it was, and it is a little bit of a personal project, Clara McGregor also co-wrote this. Clara McGregor is Ewan McGregor's eldest daughter. So you, you get the sense, well, this is kind of a family thing. They wanted to make a movie together, so they went and got a few bucks and made something small. So you sort of walk in with maybe low expectations. This is a bit of a sledgehammer. It's really surprising. It's a, it's a, it's a road trip, but it's a story of a father and his daughter and uh, on this road trip, and you're trying to piece together what's going on. What really is going on, it gives this a, a way fairly early is that um, he, he has a new family the, the family broke apart and for whatever reason she has inherited his substance abuse issues that contributed to the breakup and she almost overdosed so he is now taking her to rehab and she doesn't necessarily know that and so the trip is is all about the the reconstruction and the damage of this father-daughter relationship and how it sort of how the the damage done to the original nuclear family reverberates and there are flashback scenes here where he and she remember their relationship when she was just a little girl and it's devastating because the contrast between where they were when they were when she was small and they were happy and where they are now is if I mean if you're a parent yeah. like I am 
Yeah, and I'm I got a daughter. It even as you describe it's, it, Wade. it's just that juxtaposition gives this film so much power. And then once that has sort of sown its seeds, then both of them are able to really, really tear it up in their scenes together. And you you feel like there's probably a lot of autobiographical stuff that they're both pouring into this. Um, by the end, you're in a you're in a, a a very scarred place, but a better place. And uh, I think this is a pretty remarkable small film. What a powerful premise for a movie. Yeah, it is. We're talking about Bleeding Love, starring Ewan McGregor and Clara McGregor, Emma Westenberg, the director. It's unrated. It's at Lemley's Town Center 5 in Encino, also available on demand. Land of Bad, an action thriller starring Liam Hemsworth, Russell Crowe, Luke Hemsworth, directed by William Eubank, who co-wrote the film with David Fregario. Land of Bad, Wade. There needs to be a, a course. Amy, you're going to agree with me on that. There needs to be a lesson where film critics tell filmmakers why you do not want to use certain titles, because critics will run with them. You don't want to name a movie Land of Bad. It opens <laughs> up too many jokes. Um, this is not very good. I'm not going to go to the obvious place, but I mean, look, it's a, it's a behind enemy lines, guys on a mission movie. And there, there are at least 10,000 of these that have been made over the last 20 or 30 years. They're all basically the same. Got Delta Force guys, you know, they go behind enemy lines and all things go wrong. They have to be extracted. And the only thing that distinguishes this from some of the others is that, you know, you've got Russell Crowe, who's unfortunately overweight now. So he plays a drone pilot as opposed to a real pilot. 20 years ago, he would have been a real pilot. Now he's a drone pilot. He sits there with headphones on and, you know, controls a drone. And, you know, it's a great performance by Crowe, but it's not a demanding film. Liam Hemsworth and Luke Hemsworth get to be in a movie together that doesn't include their brother. Okay, that's that's fine. But there just isn't any story here that we haven't been through a thousand times. And you know exactly every single beat when they're, oh, they're almost going to die. Oh, they almost got to that. Russell Crowe is racing through the streets. Is he going to make it? Of course he's going to make it. He always <laughs> makes it. Russell Crowe isn't going to let anyone die. So, you know, there's no, there's nothing surprising here. There's nothing original. There's nothing inventive. It's just straight by the numbers. Land of Bad is in select theaters. It's rated R. Here is a Belgium-set film written and directed by Bas Devos. Uh, it stars uh, Stefan Gotha and Leo Gong. Amy, what do you think of Here? Yeah, this is another one of those small slice-of-life films that's really just all about vibe. You know, the vibe here being displacement and loneliness. And it's fine. I can see why it's been winning awards abroad, but I can also see why people might go and see it and be like, is that all? You know, <laughs> the, the setting here is Brussels, and we have these two characters. One is a, a incredibly muscular Romanian man who just has very, very strong legs. Um, he wears shorts the whole film, and he's lonely, and he's thinking maybe it's time I leave Brussels and go back home indefinitely. I don't feel like I've put down roots here, essentially. And the other person is a botanist um, who specializes in, in studying moss. And she doesn't have that much of a life either, it seems, except spending time at like her auntie's uh, restaurant. And most of the film is just the two of them wandering the streets separately with this idea of pay attention to the small things, pay attention to the people kind of wandering through. There's a lot of metaphorical allusions to seeds that blow around and need to be planted and small city plants that nobody notices. And then when they finally do meet at the end of the film, they don't really talk that much. You know, I mean, really the only thing that held my interest here was the cinematography, which is just gorgeous. There's beautiful shots of rain, so many shots of plants and greenery. 
I mean, this is a very short movie and probably 20 minutes of it just feels like you're looking at plants while music plays or maybe it's just silent. You know, there's a little sequence of cells under a microscope and it's really beautiful to look at. I guess if you're a person who just wants to dip into something smooth and pleasant that makes you feel a little smarter, I guess that sounds smart that you went to go see it. Sure, but this is a pretty empty example of that. It genre. sounds odd to sort of keep your leads separate for the almost almost the entire film, unless there's a big payoff when when they connect. Yeah, not really, because they're both people who keep their their thoughts and their emotions very close to the chest. So even when they're together, they're just hiking about ten feet apart. And I guess. If you're a buttoned-up kind of person, you might find that romantic. I like it when people talk. Here, uh, written and directed by Baz Devos, is unrated. Uh, it's in multiple languages with English subtitles. It's at the Los Feliz 3 and expands next week to the Lumiere Music Hall in Beverly Hills. Down in Dallas Town is a documentary that looks at the memories of JFK's assassination six decades later. Alan Governor is the director, Wade. I give Governor all the credit in the world for taking a subject that has been done to death, the assassination of President Kennedy, and coming at it in a new and refreshing way. This is really interesting. Um, the, the, the subtitle to this, it's Down in Dallas Town from JFK to K2, K2 being the the drug that is just, uh, you know, the the, uh, the it's kind of an opioid derivative. It's a cannabinoid, and it's just devastating communities like Dallas in particular. It's, it's more powerful than heroin. It's just wiping out communities. And so this is drawing not a perfect line, but kind of a line from the assassination to what's happening in Dallas today. And it's, it's, it's reviving the Kennedy assassination through the memories of a lot of just people on the street, the, the public memories of people in Dallas who were there that day, who were kids or were younger. One woman took a photo. You know, these are people that we haven't really been exposed to to any great degree in the, in the, the broader documentaries. And um, it's not trying to get to the bottom of things. You know, one woman says, I think the CIA and the FBI did it. And that's, that's fine. You know, it, they all have a different perspective. But it's more about how it's impacted them, and by extension, how the impact of, of every trauma that has hit Dallas filters down to this drug crisis that we're having right now. And, you know, it's, again, it's not a perfect line, but it's a very, it's a provocative line. And sewn into all of this, he plays all the songs, all of these classic pop tunes and folk tunes that were written about the assassination. And there are a ton of them. I had no idea there were so many songs written about JFK and the assassination. I didn't Tons even. of them. And he's got the original album art and, you know, they pop up on the screen. And so it's, it's a little bit of a collage. It's not a it, it, it doesn't sort of perfectly bring everything together. It doesn't perfectly hold together, but it paints a picture. And it's a very it's a it's a it's an effective picture. Down in Dallas Town, the documentary from Alan Governor. It's unrated and it starts streaming on Monday, President's Day, on Amazon Prime Video. Monolith. Uh, a thriller that stars Lily Sullivan, who is the only actor in the film. Matt Vesely is the director, Lucy Campbell, the screenwriter. Amy Monolith. Yeah, uh, this is a, a one-character movie about a podcaster who specializes in unsolved mystery podcasts who has screwed up on her last hit show and become doxxed, you know, when your personal information gets put online. So she's forced to hide out at her parents' home, which is very rich and very nice and very cold. I'm a podcaster, and I am all for movies about the weird world of podcasting, especially ones that, like this one, are poking fun at Unsolved Mystery Podcasts, you know, which 
hugely popular, incredibly cliche, you know, cliffhangers and red herrings and ominous voices promising that at some point this is going to get interesting and it usually never does and then it peters away. It takes away. forever to get there. And that's exactly what this movie is. It's making fun of it, but it's also the exact same thing itself. You know, it kind of, it, the end is a real letdown. Um, but I will say the one thing I like about this character as you're watching her obsessively put together this true crime thing about a strange black brick that people keep having is where the movie is good in moments is just hearing her interview people that she's going to use in repurpose for her podcast and the way she pushes and teases answers out of them that she can chop into sound bits that was great everything else eh. monolith wade yeah i agree with that i'm a podcaster too and i was gonna say you know we we don't ever have this kind of drama when we do podcasts we don't like speak for yourself well no it's you, you know why isn't that uploading faster why am i you know why is why my computer just crash why I, the volume is off can we can we, you know those are the things that are, things the, of nightmares way yeah yes. all terrifying um but uh, but yeah it, it, it it's it's a, I, I admire it for the experiment i admire that it's reaching to try to do something and it doesn't quite get its arms around it but uh, you know a for effort all right monolith uh australian film starring lily sullivan who's by herself on screen it's rated r you can see it at lemley's monica film center and it's uh for on-demand viewing as well and finally we have lights out an action thriller uh the film directed by christian sesma chad lawn gary charles are the screenwriters wade if you were a fan of chuck norris movies in the 1980s you will love this i will just say that straight out uh if you didn't then you won't it's not very good but i enjoyed the hell out of it because frank grio is my age and every time i see frank grio just pounding it on screen I feel like I gotta go work out, and you you're know, living vicariously. I've got to live vicariously <laughs> through Frank. Yeah, Frank's a, Frank's a, a war veteran, Gulf War veteran, uh, Afghanistan uh, veteran. Who uh, he's now just a you know he's he's a drifter and he's embittered, and he bumps into Mackay Pfeiffer, who's an ex-con, who says, "Hey man, you know after after a bar fight, he says, I I, I got some, I got something for you." And of course, he wants to turn him into a into a, a Fight Club fighter, you know, an underground fighter at these these illicit uh, uh, you know mafia kind of. Under- crime-driven fights. What he doesn't realize is they bump into this world where the person who is making the most money out of all of this is this crooked LAPD police detective, uh, this decorated officer played by Jamie King, who has a, you know, a public image to maintain, but she's corrupt as can be underneath. And uh, then a lot of other people get introduced into this, and I never really quite understood how all the criminal activity interwove with the other criminal activity. I don't understand how Dermot Mulroney's bad guy figures in with the other bad guys don't really need to it's just one of those movies it's like a chuck norris movie and i enjoyed those in the 80s so i i will forgive this all of its uh, all of its flaws lights out amy i saw this movie for one reason only and it's because i was promised that also in the cast is scott adkins who tends to elevate <laughs> these movies he is a phenomenal action star he's an athlete who can do anything with his body so i was sitting here basically screaming at the movie where's scott atkins where's scott atkins he shows up for two minutes fires a machine gun in a pretty unsatisfying close-up that does not highlight what this man can do and then that's Uh, it and i was so upset it's a critic's trap that's the the i was was there for great i was there for frank 
griot. But I get it. If you're there for Scott Atkins, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. So Lights Out is the action thriller uh, directed by Christian Sesma. It's rated R. It's at the Lumiere Cinema in Beverly Hills and available on demand as well. Just want to remind you that all 11 of our critics will be on stage at the historic Orpheum Theater downtown Los Angeles on Broadway coming up March 3rd, exactly a week before the Oscars are handed out in Hollywood, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, all 11 of our critics on stage. We're going to take you category by category. The best acting performances, supporting actors, we'll talk about the two screenplay categories, uh, the best animated feature, director, and best picture. We'll also show clips of all of the best picture nominees, so we'll really have a chance to get into it, hear the pros and cons, the performances uh, or the films that our critics think were overlooked that should have been in the Oscar nominees, and we'll also uh, hear from them them what they think should get the honors come the following week. So please join us. Tickets are available at LAist.com slash events. That's LAist.com slash events. And the date again, Sunday, March 3rd, Orpheum Theater, downtown Los Angeles, 1 p.m. I hope to see you there. Coming up, we'll talk with Oscar-nominated actress Sandra Hewler. She's in two of the Best Picture nominees. We'll talk with her when we come back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.